0: Welcome to So Here's The Thing, where we share candid conversations that lift the veil on what it takes to find success, even if that means sharing a few unpopular opinions. I'm your host, Leila Amati. Grab some coffee or a cocktail and let's get real. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have Hope Taylor of Hope Taylor Photography back with us. She was actually one of our very first guests, and so I'm really excited to have her back to kind of continue the conversation that we started. When we had her on the show earlier, we talked all about if you're ready to become an educator in the creative industry. And so I'm excited to kind of dive a little bit deeper into the next steps once you realize that you are ready for that step and kind of the different offerings as an educator that you can create within your business. Because I feel like Hope has kind of done a little bit of all of it at this point. So I'm excited to pick her brain and to hear what she has in store for us. So since I kind of skipped over the whole intro thing, Hope, if you want to kind of give us like a brief introduction of your life, especially all of the, all of your education things, that would be great. Yes, of course.
1: I'm so happy to be back. You know how much I adore you in the podcast. So I'm very grateful to be back. I began my business when I was 17 years old and I actually knew from the very beginning that I wanted to include education. So I offered my first educational workshop for other high schoolers that were wanting to learn how to use their camera uh, when I was in my first few months of business. And so I actually just took kind of the I guess the different path, because some people would tell me that that was not a good idea. I actually had a lot of people discouraging that, but I just knew from the beginning that I had a heart for teaching and educating. So I did that in my first year and now I've been seven years full time. I now make the majority of my income from my passive income and my education. I host in-person workshops. I have online courses. And this year for the first time, I'm doing a mastermind that I'm super, super excited about. So I've got lots of educational things that I'm doing all the time. And it's actually one of my favorite parts of my business. I'd rather teach all day than shoot a wedding, which might sound crazy to some people, but it truly is just my favorite thing.
0: I love that. I think that we talked about this, I think we talked about this on the the first episode that we did together, is that you are kind of like the exception to the rule and that most often we tell people to like wait until they're truly ready and, you know, do all the things, which I wholeheartedly think that there's always an exception to the rule. And I think that you are a really good example of that kind of exception. I'm excited to hear a little bit about your mastermind. I feel like You and I have talked so much about how there are different educational offerings for kind of different people at different levels within their education and how it's such a myth that if you are an established person within your area of expertise that you no longer need education, I think it's the opposite. And we've talked about this before. Like, I feel like if you are a high level business owner or a high level Uh, industry expert, you should actually be leveling up and pursuing high level education. And I feel like masterminds are a really good example of this. Can you like kind of share your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I completely agree with you. I um, am a huge believer in education because I
1: am a consumer of so much education. I invested in, I think, 13 different workshops and conferences in my first few years of business. I absolutely love, love, love learning and truly believe that no matter what level you hit in your business, there's constantly more to be learned. Um, And I agree that if you are an educator, you should be investing in education, not only because for the obvious reasons of wanting to better yourself and your business, but for the sake of the fact that if you want to teach, you should be standing behind that by by investing in education and showing your students that you truly believe in the value of education um, you believe in investing in it and you believe in the fact that everybody can always grow so I actually was in a mastermind last year Oh gosh, year, that's crazy! It's 2020. In 2019, I was in a mastermind, um, and it was super, super groundbreaking for my business. It was so, so helpful. I had never done high-level education to that degree. Uh, that was my biggest educational investment to date, and I am so glad that I did it. And so, one of the biggest projects that I was trying to figure out within that mastermind was what I was going to launch for this year. I have done three online courses, and I do in-person workshops and events. But I knew I wanted to offer some type of higher-level education. I just couldn't figure out what that looked like. And you know, we all have that impossible syndrome of believing that we aren't capable or ready to launch something along those lines. And I was definitely um, very fearful. And I came, I went to my mastermind coach and asked his thoughts and he actually is who encouraged me to go ahead and launch one and put one together. So I am super, super excited to be offering one in 2020, but I completely, completely agree with you that higher level educators should be investing in higher level education.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's really interesting to kind of hear your thoughts as somebody who was part of a mastermind as like the quote unquote student or the client and then is now teaching one or leading one. For those people out there who are unfamiliar with masterminds as a whole, I think it's really, uh, it's one of those interesting things where the concept of a mastermind has been around within other industries forever. I mean, when I was a teacher, we had education masterminds. Before that, when I was corporate, we had like within our industry, we had mastermind and small group settings for education and for just kind of like furthering your professional development. So for those of the creatives out there who are unfamiliar with the way that like a mastermind works, obviously there's several different ways that you could run it, but I'm interested, hope to hear like, what does your mastermind look like?
1: Yeah. So, um, the overall concept of a mastermind for anybody who's listening that may not even know what that looks like, it's typically a group of business owners who are all in the same season of business. Um, whether that means that they're all newer to business or they're all 10 plus years into business, they're typically on a level playing field from an income standpoint. And typically there is a leader that is hosting or leading the mastermind. Um, and it's typically a very long-term commitment minus six months long. Um, mine that I participated in was actually a whole year long and it includes accountability calls, content calls. Mine includes an in-person event. And so it's just a lot of accountability, a lot of networking and a lot of value to have unlimited access to someone who's leading a mastermind because typically it's somebody who is much higher level than you, like we talked about, um, and somebody who's achieving things that you want to ideally achieve. So to have unlimited access to them and their team and their knowledge is invaluable to a business owner who is wanting to pursue higher level things in their business. Um, so my mastermind is actually unique for a few reasons. It is only six months long. I did that intentionally because I plan to offer it in six month increments and allow people to join and leave as they please at the end of each six month period. And it includes a content call the first week of every month. So it's pre-planned content structured around a topic that everybody in the mastermind is wanting to learn more about. So that might look like email marketing. It might look like sales pages, launch strategy, something along those lines. And then the third week of each month, they will have a hot seat call. So two people within the mastermind will get a chance to pitch their ideas to the group, run things by us, get feedback from everybody within the mastermind. They also have unlimited access to me through email and Voxer. So they can ask me as many questions as they'd like to. I'm always here to help them as well as my team. We have an in-person event at the end of the six months where we will all come together here in Charleston. Um, and they also all get a one hour, one-on-one call at some point throughout the six months for me to help brainstorm in their individual businesses. So lots of value, a, investment and a big financial investment, but I am absolutely loving it so far. It's really, really cool to work so closely with so many business owners who are in, I have actually different industries. I have photography, I have hair and makeup, I have a conference host, I have all different industries represented. And it's really, really neat to get to work so closely hand in hand with those businesses to help them grow versus a workshop environment where I'm talking to someone. It truly is sitting down and digging deep into someone's business to strategize within their existing work. It's just really, it's been an amazing process so far. We're only a month in, but I'm already just absolutely loving it. But uh, that's a little bit about how the structure looks like for me. But there, again, like you said, there are so many different ways to host and run a mastermind successfully that there's really no right or wrong way.
0: Yeah, that is super helpful. Do you feel like there's a good amount of peer-to-peer learning within your group as well? Um, that's a great question.
1: So I actually was told by my mastermind coach, his name is Graham Cochran, that the mastermind, if done correctly and if run correctly um, and curated correctly, the group should actually become more valuable to the members than I am, um, than the leader is. So during the process of picking who's going to be in the mastermind, it's an application process. So the people that apply to join, I'm very, very picky about who's allowed in because I want everybody to be on the same playing field. I want to ensure the people that are inside the mastermind can provide value to the other people in the mastermind. And there is a lot of peer to peer communication there. We have a Facebook group where people are constantly interacting. Um, and they have, you know, obviously access to them on email box or things like that as well. It's really neat to hear everybody's different feedbacks, but again, that's only works well and is successful. If you curate
0: very carefully, who's allowed inside the mastermind. Oh, absolutely. I, um, as you know, with the Creative Educator Academy that's coming out, I have a whole unit dedicated to peer to peer and mastermind education, just because I think it is that in itself is like a full module within that unit of curating the right kind of attendees and the right kind of students to where they can learn from each other and rely on each other. Because as amazing as it is to have somebody leading who has really, really strong educational value to give, I mean, even unlimited access within office hours having the ability to talk to like eight to 10 other people at the drop of a hat is so invaluable and it's such an amazing thing to offer them. So thanks so much for sharing like your structure on that, because I think it's really interesting for people to see how many different ways there are to structure it. I mean, with next level, as you know, we, we sit down. That's my retreat, by the way, for those of you who are listening. Hope is one of our amazing speakers. She has been for the last two years. So that's why I'm so like casual about it. But with, (laughs) with my retreat next level, we sit down and we're together for a week, but our Facebook group is truly like, it becomes like a mastermind to where people have that peer to peer kind of relationship. So I can only imagine. And just from my own experience within masterminds, being able to have that ongoing relationship is incredible. Are you a creative who's interested in becoming an educator? Our industry is full of opportunities to make impact through education, but you might not have the training that you need to be equipped as a top-notch educator. Maybe you have the heart to serve and the knowledge to back it up, but how can you ensure that you're also an excellent teacher? Join in at the Creative Educator Academy, designed to help creatives like you take their zone of genius and turn it into impactful education without any prior training. If that sounds like something you need to take your career as an educator to the next level, head to the creativeeducatoracademy.com or visit the show notes for the link and start creating effective and impactful education today. So would you say looking at now that you've had like your online courses, you're running a mastermind, you've been in a mastermind, you know, you've done your in-person stuff and your online stuff. Is there one type of education that you prefer over the other, or is there one that stands out to you as like, kind of like, oh, this is what is best suited for me?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I really enjoy the process of filming and launching an online course just from a, like heart perspective. I love strategy. I love launching. I love all those things, but I found that I am a better teacher in a mastermind type setting, um, or in a one-on-one in-person type setting. I really prefer to be able to sit down with people and learn about their individual businesses and strategize within multiple different businesses. Um, my personality is that I just get bored very easily. So when I am creating an online course, it's exciting for a little bit for me. And then obviously I love all of my online courses. I'm very proud of all of them, but I really enjoy the process of sitting down with someone, learning, About who they are, what they're struggling with, and being able to strategize and truly help them see those light bulb moments. Because I feel like I work best in an environment where I can actually sit down and have conversations and dig really deep with someone instead of being surface level with multiple people. I like to dig really deep with um, just a handful of people. So I feel like the mastermind setting is ideal for me as a teacher.
0: That's so interesting that you shared that you might really enjoy one type of education, but that you're best suited for another. And I talk a lot about this too because. It's I really feel like as a as an educator once you're to the point like you are hope with the majority of your income the majority of your business is education you should kind of be able to wear all the hats well but I think knowing your strengths and being really self-aware within what you have to offer is so 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 important. What are some steps that you would advise somebody to take in order to like kind of figure out I feel like you were so clear you have so much clarity on like I love this but I'm really best at this like what are some steps that you would advise somebody to take in order to find that for themselves? Oh, that's a great question. So
1: I think that on a surface level, it has to be something that you genuinely enjoy, not something that you feel like is going to be an additional easy source of income. Um, and that was very blunt and very honest. But I think that education is sometimes viewed as just an easy alternative to um Make extra money, or it's like the natural transition that everybody does in the industry. And so, um, some people are getting into education because they feel like they have to, not necessarily because they t- genuinely enjoy the process of educating. Um, so, I think that step number one is to figure out which type of education you truly genuinely enjoy. Not the one that makes you the most money, um, not the one that makes you money the fastest, not the one that can reach the most people necessarily, but the one that you genuinely enjoy. Because if you want to maintain that and make a consistent income off of it in the long term, you need to make sure that it's something that you genuinely enjoy. I also think that from a more strategic standpoint, or I guess not strategic, that wouldn't be the word, a, just a more practical standpoint, I guess, um, sitting down with the people that you teach and deciding who you're getting the strongest testimonials from um, and who the people are that have truly been affected by your education, sitting down with them and finding out how they learned best from you, what they enjoy the most about that process, uh, what they wanted to learn more from. I do surveys of all my courses, all of my in-person workshops, all of those things to ask people um, what they enjoy what they would change, uh, what they felt like they learned the most, all of those things. And it helps me collect this data to then understand what people are enjoying the most from me and what they're getting the most out of. I only want to provide education. that People are really getting a lot out of. So those would be the two things I'd recommend. One would be just to do a little bit of heart and like soul searching and determining what exactly you truly enjoy the most. And the second would be to really source your audience and figure out what they're learning most from you. Like if they love learning from you on Insta stories or through video, then an in-person workshop might be wonderful for you. Um, or course might be wonderful for you if you do one-on-one mentoring and all of those people that you've mentored are just raving about your business and about the way that you've changed theirs. Um, then one-on-one mentoring or a mastermind might be better for you. I think that it's, it's two parts. I think it's one part heart and how you truly feel about it. And I think the other piece is just making sure that you're actually collecting the data and sourcing your audience and figuring out what they like the best.
0: I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that that is one of those things that people skip really often, especially as they start out in the education realm, they kind of like will meet up and do mentoring sessions and never follow up and never figure out how it went or have an actual gauge of how things have helped their students or their, uh, clients in terms of actual return on the time that they've spent together. So, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that as well. Okay. So if we can kind of circle back, I loved that you brought up, like I said before, the whole concept of curating your mastermind group in order to make sure that they are actually feeding each other really great information and kind of being able to utilize one another as resources. So what are some of like your favorite questions to ask applicants for your mastermind? And do you have like an actual application process or do you just jump on calls with them? Like, tell me all the things about how you prep your group for success. Yeah. Love this question. So
1: I um, do have an actual application process. I use SurveyMonkey to collect all of my surveys and applications. And I, this year when I launched the mastermind, instead of actually sharing with my whole audience on Instagram or to my mailing list, I only talked about it on Instagram stories. Um, and I had people drop their email if they were interested in more information and I would stalk their social media. I would look at their website and determine if I felt like they were a good fit before I would even send them access to the information in the application. Because I, tr- I truly didn't want to turn people down and make them feel like they weren't the best fit. So if somebody applied and then I turned them down, I didn't love the way that that might make them feel. So instead I tried to source on the front end, curate a little bit on the front end by taking the time to look through everybody who submitted their email interested. Um, and I would only send the application to those people. And on the application, some of my favorite questions are, is your business profitable right now? Um, I have them select which income bracket they're in. I list out some income brackets and have them select which income bracket. I ask them what their biggest strengths and weaknesses are. Um, I ask them what they're planning to focus on in 2020. I ask if they already have an existing mailing list or if that's a new concept for them. And I'm trying to think if there's any other big ones. I also ask what their, I think I said their goals for 2020. The biggest thing I ask though that I really like to read the answers is strengths and weaknesses. Because I feel like if you're aware of what you're really good at and also aware of what you're not great at, um, then that shows that you are a strong business owner that pays attention. And I also really like the question of, is your business profitable? Because just because you make $100,000 doesn't necessarily mean your business is profitable. And so that was one of the most eye-opening questions that I got to ask everybody. Um, So those are a handful of them. And I think that those really give you a good clear view of uh, uh, where businesses are, um, I also ask for all of their socials, all of their website, all of those things, and make sure that I'm sourcing through those as well.
0: I love that. I think that's those are all really great questions and really great thought processes to walk through. I know that in the past when I've created a mastermind, and especially when you do it across industries, um, the way that you mentioned yours is and the way that mine was, mine was all about um, obviously adding an education, and so it was all creative entrepreneurs, but who also had like an education side of their business, and Going through and making sure that like there was that common thread is so 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 important. Which also kind of circles back to that initial comment that you made about people kind of getting into things for you know the quick and easy money or the just like leveling up or what they view as leveling up and within their businesses um, and how that that's just so untrue. I think the the biggest thing that you can do wrong is to just take anybody who's willing to invest their money in you because even though on the front end, it looks like, oh, this person is willing to give me thousands of dollars to educate them. If it's not a good fit with the rest of the group, you're kind of setting everybody up for a disservice and for, quite frankly, for an unsuccessful experience. And so I think that that's, that's something that's really important. So in any kind of group setting, obviously we have people who kind of will be a little bit more soft-spoken or a little more shy. And then you have people who are a little bit more aggressive. And I talk a lot about this in the academy of how to just kind of like navigate these, but have you found, um, have you found that to be true? I feel like that's true in every single group setting, no matter how well you try to make sure that everything is balanced. It's just, is it's just personality types. Do you have any tips for how to kind of like navigate that? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So
1: I definitely agree that there are going to always be mixed personality types and you're going to have to know how to work with and structure the relationship with all the different people, depending on their personality. Um, I think that the biggest tip for me would be to focus on I did an intro call. I should start there. I did an intro call as a bonus with my entire team that wasn't actually included in the mastermind. It wasn't something they paid for. It was just something we did for fun. And I had everybody go around and answer just a couple of little questions about themselves. And it helped me to have a better understanding of personalities, helped me to have a better understanding of their businesses and what their goals were and just how they interact with the group. And I paid really close attention and took notes the entire call of obviously just what everybody said, but also who they were and how they acted. Um, and that way I know, okay, I probably need to check in with this person a little bit more because she's not going to be as outspoken. Um, I probably need to set some boundaries with this person because they're going to ask lots of questions and all of those things are totally fine. I think it's just making sure that you take intentional time and take intentional notes uh, to actually pay attention to who you're going to need to um, give a little extra love to, who you're going to need to set boundaries with. All of those things are completely normal and natural and will definitely always happen. But I think that you just have to actually build in time to be intentional about
0: it yeah, and I think that a lot of times we kind of are tested as educators in this in these moments because you're kind of forced to do like the hard thing, which is have like a hard conversation with somebody sometimes. And so i that's that's kind of part of the reason that I bring it up is to say that like as sunshiny and rainbowy as as things like masterminds can seem where you're like, we're one big, happy family. sometimes you do have to have like that hard conversation with setting boundaries. And so I just wanted to make sure that we like clue our listeners in that like, this could happen and it's okay and it's okay for it to be uncomfortable, but that's kind of your responsibility as the educator, right? Right. A hundred percent. Yep. Mediating
1: and making sure that you are loving on personalities accordingly, um, is definitely your real
0: role as a mastermind leader. So totally agree with you on that. That was so much great information about masterminds, about just education as a whole. I so, so, so appreciate all of that from you, Hope. I really, like, obviously, we all in the industry who know and love you respect your opinions and your uh, insights so much. But you know that I have to ask, what is your unpopular opinion? You can share your unpopular opinion on education as a whole, or since we've kind of focused in on masterminds and peer-to-peer and group learning here, you can share your unpopular opinion about that.
1: Ooh, I always love doing this. So I think my unpopular opinion about masterminds specifically would be that, um, if you are hosting a mastermind, the expectation, uh, should be there and you should be willing to connect with everyone on the math the mastermind on a personal level, as well as on a business level. I think that I've seen some people host masterminds and heard from people who have been in masterminds where, uh, it was very surface level from an emotional standpoint. Um, they got some value and they got some content and all of those things, but there was very little interaction that felt like a friendship or an actual relationship with the people within. In the mastermind. And if people are paying you multiple thousand dollars to participate in something, it's because they truly love and adore you and respect you as a business owner. And to not reciprocate that by being really friendly and emotionally invested in their businesses is not really fair to the people that are participating. I'm a huge believer that if you were going to host a mastermind, you need to be prepared to be emotionally and like, just emotionally invested and friends with everybody in your mastermind um, and just make sure that you are actually showing up as someone who feels like a friend to them because if they're paying you thousands of dollars, then they probably really, really adore you and want that type of friendship and relationship with you. It doesn't mean that you need to act like just their buddy. Obviously you need to be leading them, but you need to make sure that they feel the love from you and they feel that friendship and that connection with you outside of just getting the occasional like content email from you. That's my biggest, probably unpopular opinion formed on things that I've heard from other people who participated in some masterminds in the past.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that having a mutual investment is super, super important, especially as a teacher, as an educator. I think that is just one, that's one area that I think as a whole, not just in masterminds that you could, you could really apply it to anything and that it's, There's no such thing as being like some kind of status symbol because you're a quote-unquote educator. Education comes with the responsibility of investing in your students. And so really, if anything, you're more of a servant than you were beforehand. And like, I just think that might be a mind shift from my days as a teacher, but coming into this industry and seeing how people treat themselves as educators sometimes can be really disheartening. So I'm happy that you shared that unpopular opinion because in case you couldn't tell, I totally agree. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Totally agree with you. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. You know, I love having you on here. You know, I love our chats. So I'm really, really thankful for all your time. I know you're super busy. Oh my goodness. I will always be here to be interviewed for your podcast. I absolutely love you and I love everything that you do. And I am really grateful to be on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Hope for show notes and resources mentioned on today's episode, head to, so here's the thing podcast.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love to read your review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.